Hi, I'm Dee Wallace, and you're listening to the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I'm excited. I'm sorry. I picked this topic. I love this movie. It's a scary movie. It's a scary movie. And it still affects me just the same. I cannot put that on. I gotta tell you, something about this movie worked for me. I was oh, like, it rocked. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's debatable. But, I mean, it's a great movie. That You know, I, it's my right as a viewer, as somebody who spends my money and time to go watch these films, to have my opinions and be disappointed. But that's what I love about about this group doing this podcast right now is that on so many pages <laughs> we're like right there with each other. But then I mean it, it's it's almost inevitable that uh, you know half the time we're gonna go you're out of your mind. You are out of your mind. I'm sorry, but that's. <laughs> Welcome to the Midwest Monster Podcast, and now here are your hosts. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another very interesting episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Grizzly Adner, joined by. Professor Wagstaff. Hi, Toddy. Venomous Vinny. Good to be with you again, friends. We're bringing you another installment of the Monster Mash. In case you forgot this format, we all pick a movie, subject everyone to watching it, and then talk about it. So, uh, I'm Grizz Adner, and I chose Death Spa, 1989. Professor, what was your pick? I picked Nightbreed, Clyde Barker's second feature directorial Working on a night breed. <laughs> is that is that shared? <laughs> I chose Witchboard. Witchboard. And Vinny. I chose Todd Browning's Freaks. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Well, we have decided that we are just going to go in chronological order. So that puts, as usual, the venomous one <laughs> up first. Because him old, and he liked old-timey <laughs> movies. So, tell us uh, the details about Freaks and why you chose it. No, tell us why you chose it. Uh, whatever you want to do. Give us the details. Okay. Why you chose it. Uh, Freaks, directed by Todd Browning, uh, 1932. Um, this movie, this is another one I discovered it. when I. Okay, let's, let's go way back. Uh when I was a kid, my boogeyman, the thing that had me terrified when I was probably about 10 years old, is my dad had me watch The Elephant Man with Ooh. Anthony Hopkins and John Hurt. And visually, it terrified me. Yeah, that's a dark movie. It terrified me. Uh, you know, like people that are a little different. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I was totally understanding of what the story was. Uh, you know, he was a gentle human being and all this kind of thing, but it didn't matter. Psychologically, the visual terrified me. And it was like serious fears of riding back. I remember riding in the backseat of the car back from my grandparents' house and sitting in the car with dread, thinking about how I was going to have to go home and use the bathroom and being afraid the elephant man was behind the shower curtain. <laughs> like, I'd be terrified. Yeah. Uh, so as a result... Um, 
as I got older, I became very interested in human oddities and sideshow performers. Uh, so through, you know, research and reading up on that kind of thing, I, was, uh, freaks came to my attention and I had never seen it. And I happened to find a copy at the local public library and watched it and was completely, I just enthralled, you know, I, it just, it was amazing to me. Um, the fact that actual circus sideshow performers were used in the movie as the characters. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I have a, I, I can't tell you how many times I've watched this movie. I absolutely love this movie. Uh, do we want to, do we want to give a brief synopsis of what the movie is now? Yes. Okay. Um, the basic overview of the movie is there is a little person midget uh, performer who Can we is that word. <laughs> uh, no, this is appropriate use. Uh, yes, it is. A difference between dwarf and midget, and he is in fact a midget. A midget. So we could say mongoloid during this episode. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. Uh, so this midget sideshow performer is engaged, has recently broken off his engagement with his little person, midget girlfriend, and is going to marry this full-size trapeze artist. It's always a trapeze artist. <laughs> Uh, More like but, trampy, but as it <laughs> as it will turn out in the movie, uh, he is being used by the trapeze artist. She's in cahoots with the strong man, and they're basically she's marrying him to slowly poison him and take all of his money. Uh, and the other freaks catch wind of this and get their revenge on her. Is basically the premise of the movie. Wasn't that an American Horror Story? Sure that. Did they rip that off from that? Or? Yeah, American they Horror Story. They ripped off American Horror Story. Not Freak Show ripped freaks, off everything from freak, Freaks. Freaks ripped off American Horror Story. Yeah, 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 clearly, yeah you yes. got it. That's clearly. Clearly. Um, I just got to say right off the bat, you know, Todd Browning is typically more well-known for doing Dracula. Mm -hmm. And, um, man, going back to some of our Universal episodes and our Vampire episodes, uh, it's no secret that as I... As much as I love Bela Lugosi as the icon of Dracula, I think that first Dracula movie is terribly boring. This is not. This movie is paced so well. And you're only getting a portion of it. Yeah. There's, there, it. there's yeah. definitely always something going on in, the, in this movie. This yeah, movie is, right. Yeah, this movie is not boring. Um, I mean, this ultimately would get Todd, Brown, Todd Browning in a lot of hot water. It ruined his career. Yeah. Um, this film's a masterpiece. This is great. I mean, it's... I don't... I don't want to say I don't know why it's not talked about more because I get it, but at the same time, like, I think it's better than the Professor's going to flip his wig, but I think this is better than a lot of Universal Horror movies. I mean, <laughs> the, this movie certainly has merit. My problem with it is uh, the more you watch it and learn about it, I really don't think of this as just a straight-up horror movie. I think of this um, as a movie. Oh, I, sure. That's sure. Fair. But with that, I mean, the the weird thing about it is, is initially when you see the title and you learn a little bit about the movie, you're like, oh, it, they're exploiting these these people. This is going to be rough, mm -hmm. and it really couldn't be further from the truth. Um, because for starters, Browning grew up in the circus. That's why I made this. That's why I wanted to make it. Because you know, not specifically these people in the film, but he knew these people. 
he knew this life, um, and he knew that, you know, they were interesting and they had feelings and all, you know, they were human mm-hmm. beings. And so the irony of it is, is it's, it's easy to quickly dismiss this movie as the opposite when it really isn't. Now, a lot of the performers um, in this movie went on to regret being in it. Uh, most, most almost, of them. Almost all of them. Um, and it's irony again, because I don't think they could have ever dreamt that, you know, 80 plus years later, people would be talking about this movie. Sure. You know, I think they saw it as taking something and exploiting it on a massive scale um, where people were almost making fun of them. Um, and just kind of grew to regret doing it when, you know, now when I watch that movie, I, I love all of them. Like yeah. oh, I, I yeah. care about the yeah. characters. There's a certain affection that bleeds through um, when you're watching it. And I, that's, that's what I think is, is the most fascinating about it is that, all that you expect it to be, it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. Because it's not really a cruel movie. It actually points out cruelty mm-hmm. and shows you how shitty it is and uncomfortable. And you get to see retribution for that. Right. And Because the shittiness is the humans. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's our... Humans. Everybody's a human in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> What's that <laughs> supposed to mean, yeah. man? You uh, son of uh, a bitch. Edit that out, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the shitty is, is the, uh, the the normies, if you will. You know, human the, nature is the shitty part. Yeah. Yeah, but um, something else that I, I've always nice thought stuff. was fascinating about this <laughs> was that this was originally ninety minutes long, and they cut a, a third of that off. Yeah. Um, just due to controversy, um, this ended up being banned numerous places around the world. Um, well, you also have, not only water. was it shocking to to audiences, uh, but also, of course, obviously it's not explicit, but it's it's inferred that there is a sexual relationship between a midget and a normal-sized person, mm-hmm. and even though who cares, and that, in 1932, to infer that was taboo. Yeah, especially she can stretch, trapeze artist. <laughs> and, I mean, think about how many... Uh, relationships are being jumped from in this movie. You know what I mean? Like, uh, the midget is with his midget counterpart, but then ends up with the trapeze artist who is with the strong man who just broke up with the other girl who ends up with the clown. Like, is this a CW drama? (laughs) Pretty much. But this was the first place that I was introduced to, uh, Schlitzy. And, Schlitzy, the pinhead, the microcephalic, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I wonder, I thought of you when when I saw that. That's absolutely where my character, the horror host character, that I do punk in the pinhead, which predates uh, American Horror Story and Pepper. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't take that personal at all. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I became just absolutely amazed with Schlitzy. So and, did the wife of the studio head, Norma Shear who came down to set every day to hang out with Schlitzy. Really? Not, I mean, just straight up out of love. And you know what's funny is that Schlitzy's act as a performer was a magic act. Schlitzy actually, it wasn't just go out and be displayed. Right. Schlitzy actually did a couple of magic tricks Mm -hmm. in his, her act out on the stage. But yeah, there was a lot of stars from MGM that like avoided this set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Norma Shear down there every day wanting to visit. Please uh, talk about Schlitzy later in life. Um, you're looking at me like you don't know what I want you to talk about. No, I don't know what he wants. About to talk. how like Schlitzy had kind of faded into obscurity. 
And oh, was, uh, like off in a home and very sad. And yeah, uh, there was there was a, a like a sword swallower type performer, uh, working act, if you will, who in the off season would get a straight job, and he ended up being like a custodian in this this uh, nursing home type place, and noticed that Schlitzie was a resident there. That you know, guardians had died off, and that Schlitzie was now a, a ward of the state. And he recognized Schlitzie and ended up able to get Schlitzie out of the environment. And what they would go to parks and feed pigeons and things like that. And then people would come up and Schlitzie would start to perform. Schlitzie absolutely loved to perform. Where's this movie? When they got Schlitzie back out, and actually Schlitzie went back on the road for a while with some smaller uh, uh, sideshows, Schlitzie... Loved to perform when they found when they when he found Schlitzie in the home. Schlitzie was withdrawn and depressed. But once they got Schlitzie out and performing again, Schlitzie came back to the you know his imp-like ways, you know, and and just happy and very childlike. Absolutely loved to perform, and that's a lot of things. You know, we have we live in a in a world now where the the sideshow is very much a bygone thing. And uh, I watched a thing with Jeannie Tomaney, who's the famous half girl who was married to uh, one of the giants. She says the do-gooders, quote, unquote, do-gooders ruined their living. That right. they were able to work a job and make their own money instead of taking a check from the state. And, and do-gooders, people who weren't afflicted, decided that they were being exploited. And yes, there were people who were. But, but for the most part, these people had a community. They were able to make their own living. And most of them made a pretty good living. And so they were upset when the quote-unquote do-gooders made it to where it was a thing that couldn't happen anymore. But back to the movie itself, um, I just – you get a glimpse at so many of what now is legendary performers from, from the Sideshow era. But uh, I think that uh, a detriment to this movie, I, I guess a negative that I'll, I can say even though I love it is some of the acting's a little rough. Some of the acting is a little rough. Um, but other than that, I think it's a great story. Um, and I, I, it would not have been the same film had you not had actual sideshow human oddity performers in it. Todd, this was your first time seeing this movie, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, tell, tell us what you thought as you're watching it. Um, well, and, and just listening to you guys talk, so um, kind of how... When I watch it now, it's definitely not a horror picture. But in 1932, let's be real, it was. Because you think about all the horror films from that era, it really is, at the end of the day, it's about like a disfigured person. or I mean, like, like that, man that would, who laughs and yeah, things like and that. And then that would be like now, like some girl that burned in a fire and, and she's our, our Freddy Krueger now just because she's disfigured. Yeah, yeah. Where um, I, I don't feel like horror movies do that anymore, really. I mean... Usually, if they're dis- if they're the bad guy, then they they've you know they they've mentally changed too. But um, you know, in an era where like uh, the average monster, like Frankenstein, and and they they really weren't monsters. It was it was the people. Um, I'm I'm definitely familiar with freaks. I knew what it was. Um, I just never seen it. But man, when I watched the movie, I was like, damn, American Horror Story just completely took this movie and and. It didn't feel like a love letter. Like, there's some things that's, like, you know, obviously inspired by. It was just blatantly, like, ripped off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even, even like, I felt like I was watching, like, the new season. 
Like it, it didn't, it, it wasn't similar. It was just copied. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, I mean, if it gets people to watch freaks, that's okay. But I, I feel like most people don't do that anymore. They're like, they'll watch the walking dead and say, who the hell is George Romero? Um, and it's fine that you haven't, haven't seen it, but if you love something that's based off another work, I would recommend watching the, uh, the, you know, mm -hmm. the original. Um, I love the story. I, I love the freaks. Um, it was definitely entertaining. It, it's not scary. Um, I don't think I realized that one of us completely came from this movie. Cause that's, that's definitely oh, yeah. something oh. that's definitely something that you, uh, you know, you hear a lot, mm -hmm. but shout out the Leprechaun three. You know, there you go. I don't know that I would have went there, but I was thinking Simpsons or, or many other things. Um, but yeah, look, I definitely thought it was a great film. Awesome. Um, I just love this movie. I I don't know where to begin. I mean, we've covered a lot of things that I want to cover, but I mean, I just want to talk about the variety of sideshow performers that are in this. It's very neat. That the, it wasn't just one type, you know. They really covered the gamut of all the quote-unquote freaks. Um, and so that was cool. And I just love uh, the uh, the three, uh, I don't want to call them pinheads, microcephaliacs. Microcephalics. Microcephalics. Yeah. Not cephaliacs. Um, and, like, their relationship and, like, the kind of the, the den mother that looked over mm -hmm. them. That was very cool, very sweet. And I just love just some of the, the random scenes with the different sideshow performers, like the guy with no limbs that could roll and light and smoke his own cigarette. Prince Randian. Kid would carry him around in between takes on set. Yeah. Which I love. I remember hearing that. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. How about uh, the master from uh, Beyond Thunderdome? <laughs> was in it. Really? Master Blaster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was him who carries the loving cup to her. And she throws it in his face. That was, uh, what's his name? Uh, Angelo. Oh, Angelo. I can't remember his full, his, his full name. It was Angelo something. But yeah, that was that was the guy from Beyond Thunderdome. Wow. Like, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Master. Yeah. Blaster. Dang. Professor. But yeah, it, it's always been one I've enjoyed. Um, I, I just, I like the intersection of, you know, a director who made other notable horror movies that I knew, and I liked that this guy took real-life people instead of creating things. Yes. I liked that he documented kind of a moment in time. I mean, it's not obviously a documentary at sideshows, but it took, you know, real people and made an interesting story. Mm -hmm. And in the end, while the title isn't the most warm, uh, in the end you realize that, it's it's a warm movie towards these people. Yeah. Um, and I will say, I when, when I say that I don't think of it as a, a horror movie, I, I do agree with what you were saying of a product of its time, which in fairness, I really should apply in other ways that I do for other things, not only from that time, that I'm like, well, that's you know what viewers are used to. This is no different. So in fairness, yeah, it's a horror movie. And also, there's movies, modern movies, one we just talked about on a recent episode where we're patient and we barely give anything until the end. Right. Where it's scary. I, I would this I would recommend this, this to horror fans though. I mean, uh, Angelo Rosito is who played uh, in Thunderdome and who was the wow. Orphan, I that blows my mind. But yeah, with this, this is no different because the movie is it's it's interesting the whole time, mm -hmm. and there's little bits in here and there, but it's pretty damn scary 
when they've all decided we're coming for you. Yeah. And we've got like people using their ailments in a way to aid them, like crawling underneath yeah. the wagon, that rain so coming down and the knife in the mouth. So I wanted to walk back a little bit. I didn't mean to kind of just to be dismissive of this as a horror film. No, you said it was an awful film. Also, uh, Harry Earls, who played Hans, mm -hmm. the, the lead midget, he was also one of the oh. munchkins from the Lollipop mm -hmm. Guild. He was also in The Unholy Three, which is also yes, with Lon Chaney. a Todd Browning movie, which he did silent and sound. Now, he's not the Lollipop Kid that scared you and made you cry. No. He? No, that was a different one. His name was Jerry. <laughs> I think, but yeah, <laughs> another story for another podcast. But yeah, and the girl in there, Daisy, that's his real life sister. Yes, and uh -huh. so the romance scenes of any kind, they're always distant. Yeah, just you know, we're not going to get too freaky deaky well, for the camera. Yeah, let's be there. Uh, I'm sure people fitting the roles were uh, not a long list, so yeah. we went with brother and sister for that. Um, also, uh, appearance from Wallace Ford. Um, from the mummy's hand and tomb, he's the one that's in the clown outfit. Oh, so it's okay. nice to see him yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. You know, a number of years before we uh, do the mummy uh -huh. sequels. Um, and then uh, one other thing I did want to point out that I I thought was interesting is uh, one of the major things that they made the cuts on uh, was with um, Hercules the castrating, and there's yes. a scene with him singing quite highly, and that was going to be one wow. of one of the the payoffs. You know that he got, they were going to cut his balls off. Uh, obviously that was cut. I mean, you weren't going to see anything in, from a movie back then, but that was going to be implied with, uh, you know, do, kind of a mass does, attack. Does this exist somewhere? Singing. Like all this cut stuff? Is there yeah, a, yeah, I don't believe that's so. That's long gone. So, so that what was it like an hour, the runtime of this? Yeah. This movie is 62 minutes. It was originally 90. Wow. That's and, how and that's much just they long, cut. It's this. just long gone. Yep. Yeah. Just like, just like his movie, uh, London after midnight. That was also Todd Browning. Gone to the ages. Gone. Um, yep, that's who made me cry. Jerry Marin. <laughs> Understandable. Yep. In, in uh, fairness, uh, I have to defend that, myself now. I didn't Richard. cry because he was a midget, a little man. Uh, it was because when I walked up to say hi, he was pounding a brew and smoking a big-ass cigar. And I just thought he was going to be the little guy from the Wizard of Oz. I was a little kid. I woke up. I was like, I saw him. I was like, <laughs> He's like, how you doing, man? <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, Google Gobble, one, one of, of us. us. I mean, uh, the fact that they are going to, we accept. Yeah, they're they they like trick her into thinking that she's in the in the crew, and then they they know they fuck her up. And they make her like a chicken at the end. What was mm -hmm. she? Chicken lady. Yep. They yeah. cut off her yeah, lower torso. Which again was wasn't that tournament again? American. Uh, by the way, her. No American Horror alert, Story as well. Eighty years old. Yeah. <laughs> 90 years old. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they rip it off an American Horror Story, you know. Which which I, I do like when, you know, especially something like this. I like when there's a tribute or something, but they didn't even acknowledge that, like, you know. I like Ryan Murphy, but I always feel like if you hear him in interviews, he, like, invented it. Like, Scream Queens, he's like, uh, it's this new thing called horror comedy. No, uh, it, it's existed. <laughs> Eat my butt. But, so... Yes, I, I say run, don't walk to check out Freaks if you've never seen it before. It was it's a great, great movie. Foundational. Foundational. I love it. Good, good, times. Good, good times. Good times. All right, up next, Hot Toddy with his choice of which board. Give us a rundown. Give us why you chose it. Give us a synopsis. So, which board? Um, 
technically 86, but it really got released 87. Um, Writer-director Kevin Tenney, who went on to do Night of the Demons. Um, starred Tani Katane, who many of you knew on Top of a Car on White Snake's <laughs> videos. Uh, Todd Allen, Stephen Nichols, uh, Kathleen Willette, and a special appearance by Mose, <laughs> Mose, Rosemarie. Um, Dick Van Dyke show thing. So the the story's pretty basic, but um, it's, it's simply they they have a party. Uh, in the party, their their friend brings out a Ouija board. Uh, they start playing it. Uh, Ouija board's left at the house. Tonic Katane becomes kind of obsessed with playing it, and as she thinks she's talking to a little boy, like uh, more and more stuff ha- starts happening to like their friends. Like uh, they they start getting killed off. And then it goes further, and you find out there's actually like more to the story than just that. Um, I, w- I would say the biggest thing to point out about this movie is anytime there's a Ouija board now in a film, it's kind of like they took the rules that Kevin Tenney invented for this movie. Like, don't play the board alone and, and some of the folklore and stuff. It seemed like it came out of Witch Board. Um, and I, I chose this movie. I saw this pro- whenever it hit video, so... Uh, I'm assuming probably 88 because it took forever to come out back then. I remember my sister used to play uh, Ouija boards with my aunt, and she went to the drive-in to see this where most people saw at the drive-in, and she refused to never play one again. (laughs) And talked about how terrified this movie was. So um, I think my first viewing, I watched it on video or HBO or something, and I don't even remember if I went to sleep that night. Um and and I I feel like uh, a lot of the scare factor still holds up. There's uh, a lot of great things. It's definitely a movie if somebody hasn't heard of it or hasn't seen it. I love to take this to their house and watch it with them. And so that's why I chose it. So that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Professor, I'm going to give you first comments on this. Okay. Um, I had seen this before. So, uh, this was a repeat viewing, viewing for me. Um this one is pretty straightforward for me. There, there's, there's not too much controversy, controversy to this film. Um, I don't think it's a perfect film. I don't think it's a bad film. I just think it's great 80s fare. I mean, it's just middle of the pack um, entertainment for its time. Um, I think Tawny alone is worth the price of admission. She was just a force on screen. Um my biggest complaint with the film is the acting from the guys. I think that they're they're too much. Uh, there's too much soap opera being being infused. The into. one guy was from a big soap opera. Well, so there we go. So, <laughs> but which I mean, it doesn't spoil the movie for me. Um, but I I like that it, it takes the approach of progressive possession, whereas in most films that have ever went towards anything with a Ouija board or kind of summoning a situation like this, we do it and then we're in and we've got, you know, the person with this, it's a little bit more and more and more. And the situations kind of heighten as we go along. Um, one thing I always long for is more time spent on the backstory of the killer and a little bit more visually of him. But at the same I time, I do like that they almost don't give me enough to kind of want more in that aspect. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, 
it's exactly when I put it in to watch it. It's exactly what I expected it to be the first time I ever watched it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't rank it up towards the top of any list for me, but it's it's a movie I enjoy enough for just, you know, running through 80s horror movies. I mean, do we want to go more down into the plot? No, eh, not yet. Okay. Vinny? Um, it's 80s is all shit. <laughs> uh, that's that's going to be the, parenthetically speaking, <laughs> the name of this episode. Uh. I just I was telling Professor earlier. Sometimes you see uh, women from past eras that were like this sex symbol and supposed to be super hot, and you look at it and just standards, I guess, have changed over the years, and you don't really see it as much. Um, for instance, I never understood why Christopher Reeve's Clark Kent Superman was after Margot Kidder. Oh, I thought you were going to talk shit about Christopher Reeves. I was like, get out of here. (laughs) When Superman could have had his pick of Metropolis, he chose Lois, Margot Kidder, Lane. Uh, But Tawny still holds up. She's still gorgeous. Um, That is about where my kindness ends. Uh, Now, I saw it for the first time. So I'm not looking at it through any kind of nostalgia goggles or anything. Uh, the acting from the guys is atrocious. Atrocious. Uh, <laughs> bad line and bad delivery when the guy says, Yeah, well, I got a D in manners. <laughs> it's one of the <laughs> dumbest fucking things I've ever mind. Did anybody else think that that actor, sent his voice sounds just like Bill Murray's? <laughs> I hadn't, I hadn't noticed that. And, that, that. That was the lead guy? Yeah. And Todd didn't say it this time, but I'm going to say it. Uh, I think those two characters were ex-lovers. See, if I say it, I would be ridiculed. But, but no, but I, I told you, I said, I said, I'm with Todd on this one. If he says it. I think those two actors were, were uh, past lovers in, in the movie. Yeah, there was something there. there yeah, it was beyond so, just bro. And and I think, I think some of the... Uh, because I can't argue anything you're saying, even though I love this movie. Yeah. But I, I will say, as for the actors, I noticed uh, it's really weird, because to me, I love Witchboard, and I, I think it's a strong movie for its time. But Witch Trap followed, which is not a sequel, as it says on the box. But man, the acting, and a lot of those same people are in this in Witch Trap. The acting is like, if you if you want to see really bad acting, watch Witch Trap. When I watched those guys together, I thought, oh, so this is what happened to Coy and Vance from the Duke's Hazard. <laughs> the replacement Dukes. Uh, and the psychic character, the medium, uh, I hated that character worse her. than Franklin from Texas. Well, the Chainsaw. funny thing is that she had the longer career out of everybody yeah, in that movie. Yeah, she's in Roadhouse and all kinds <laughs> of stuff. I absolutely fucking hated that character. That's I'm that I'm done. A little more of my psychic humor. So, um, oh, got Annie Pot. <laughs> <laughs> this is my first time viewing the film. I think this is tense. And um, Todd has been telling me to watch this movie for years. And I am sorry, Todd, that this movie just didn't hit with me. Get out of here. Get out of your own home. <laughs> I it just maybe you would have watched it when I said twenty years ago. <laughs> I just and we're gonna talk about Death Spot, you know. 
but as an 80s film man this just didn't hit with me at all like and I, it's got a following i know i'm on the outside you really are <laughs> you really are. i know i know you can have and, and and again i'm not it does have it doesn't have the best acting and i, I don't know I, to me it's an effective movie like like the music and, and I the like story. All the POV I, I will say, and, and even to this day, I would love to see um this, the 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 bad guy's name was Malfader. That dude, when I think of him, terrifies me because mm. the, the I, I, mean, I know he's in two scenes. Oh, I love Bill Hader. <laughs> 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 that guy was terrifying, and so I mean, it would be cool to do like maybe a prequel or a backstory, mm. but I'll just say I I didn't like this film. Um, I probably won't watch it again, but unlike Benny, I loved the crazy medium. She was my favorite character so in the whole film. I hated her worse than Franklin from Texas Chainsaw. Oh, uh, son. That's hard times. So, Benny in here, ripping parts and breaking <laughs> Yeah, that was me. Blame that on me. More than Franklin, huh? Boy, that's hard. What about Shelly? <laughs> Friday 3. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, Man, yeah, can we put them all in a boat? <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. Walk off into the sunset. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> that's that's me on Witchboard. Um, please do your thing. I still stand by. Uh, if you did not like this, I advise not to watch the sequels. <laughs> that sounds done nice. and done. You got it, bud. Yeah, to, to me, it was just everything I thought it'd be. It's enjoyable. It's not something that I would just say every horror fan's going to love. But, I mean, you know, if you're wanting to run through a bunch of 80s movies, include this one. I still pop. I, I just expected it to be more bonkers. It uh, was pretty tame, um, which isn't a bad thing. I'm uh, not saying that as a criticism. I just thought and, and, if, about In like, fairness, though, if you would have watched this sooner, and, I, again, you can't help when you watch stuff other than, you know, watch something when I tell you. But... <laughs> If you think about it, there's not a lot of movies about Ouija boards. No, there's not. But since you watch this, there have been five, like within the last like year or so, last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. This this was more impactful at the time yeah. it came out. I can't think. I like there might have been a movie where ones broke out, but yeah, yeah, there's there's not a movie that's centered around a Ouija board and the effects of playing it. I like the the ending with the camera following him down to the car and then we go to the church pews and we think it's a funeral we pan <laughs> over it's a wedding happy ending. yeah it's, it's i like that he shoots the ouija board because yeah, i well, solve all my problems with guns. i was gonna say i can't really defend that that's one of the weaker <laughs> points of the movie i was like oh it's like hold up 98 minutes is the runtime on this and we just waited an hour and a half and all he had to do was shoot this goddamn thing <laughs> Oh well, uh, you, but yeah, it's it's an she inter- could have clicked her heels and went home. Um, I, I one thing on the special features, I watched a documentary that they have for it, and uh, I the stuff with Tony Gatane I thought was interesting. Not only that OJ was coming down to the set and visiting and meeting everybody because she was his side relationship back then, um, which it was out in public and stuff. They even in the documentary a couple years ago, there was a little bit where they show him out with Tony Gatane, but he had come down to set, but. Also was listening to how every single person involved with this movie loved her deeply. All the men wanted to be with her and all the women thought she was kind and wanted to be like her. And it was she and they talked about how she was just this one of a kind force because it's usually one or the other. 
and she was both. She just come in there with her hair up, you know, with the they'd say she'd come in with the chopsticks in the bun, and the room would just all gravitate towards her. And I do think that some of that comes through on screen because this is a director's first movie, and we've got guys, some of whom I'm sure haven't been in much, and other people coming over from TV, and she's just right there as the center of gravity to the whole film without ever being over the top with anything except when she's got the hat on and swinging the axe but that's all right because right, she sold her soul to that ouija board and everybody liked her i i think and because and, Witchboard was a big we hit and um she, she was also in bachelor party so it's kind of yeah. strange that she really didn't have a bigger acting career than she did yeah maybe because yeah. she wasn't a bitch and you know you had to be that in the yeah. 80s but to batch um, yeah, again, like to me, I think a story around because I don't know if you noticed the house or not, but that house is used in lots of movies, mm -hmm. like Elvira and Waxwork and and a lot of other films. Uh, Willard, Indiana Jones, yeah, and the Temple of Poon. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, like good movies aren't for everybody, but I stick by my uh, I stick by my decision. <laughs> And I, I will say this, I, I love watching this movie with people. I do notice, because I, I, I gravitate to Kevin Tenney's two films. I mean, he has more than that, but Witchboard, I do notice more people do love Night of the Demons more. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. you know, I think he does have some strong films. Hopefully, uh, he went into retirement for uh, to kind of help raise uh, his son. Yeah, so now that his son's kind of doing his own thing, I, I would love to see him do new stuff. Because I think he does well with like no budget and special mm -hmm. effects. Um, it'd be kind of cool to see if what he would do if he came out now. So sure, I love Night of the Demons. <laughs> All right, cool, <laughs> cool story, bro. All right, which can't story? wait till we get to your movie. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, up next, my movie, a uh, little film called Death Spa. I want to make sure you hear that right, folks, because the first time I heard it talked about on a podcast, I thought uh, Elric from uh, Shockwaves was saying, like, despot? Like, despot, maybe? Like like a despot? Like and a was, Vespa? Yeah, or like a Vespa. And I was like, what's he talking about? I was like, and I, looked, I was like, no, it is a death spa. Released in Europe as Witch Bitch. <laughs> That's not a joke. I know, which is nuts. So, 1989, death spa. <laughs> It's uh, uh, directed by Michael Fisher. He also uh, did a, My Mom's a Werewolf. <laughs> Starring uh, William Bemiller, Brenda Backey, Merritt Buttrick, Robert Lipton, Alexa Hamilton, and most importantly, Ken Forey. You say uh, Karen Parsons. And Rosalind Cash. And Sherry Shattuck. I don't see her on, on the list here anywhere. Uh, Hillary from Fresh Prince. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's her first movie. Nice. Nice. Um, so the premise is... Um, <laughs> it's almost... It's a death spa. <laughs> it is a spa where death occurs. Um, it's a gym... Uh, what is a spa? Okay, gym like like where you work out. I thought you meant like this movie is a gym. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, it is that kicked, too. I was gonna kick you under the table. <laughs> no, it's that too. It's a rare gym, but it's it, the film rare, occurs right. at a GYM gym, a workout <laughs> facility. 
I the wish... premise is every bit as ridiculous as it sounds, man. Dude, I feel like this movie was a uh, and and holdover for about five years because mid '80s this movie makes sense because like all the like people went out in public dressed like they did in this movie. '89, yeah. everybody was coked out of their mind with like big shoulder pads and suits. So uh, it's a gym, and uh, the owner's wife has died, but maybe she's come back as a witch to haunt the gym and kill people with the gym equipment. Which because is, why not? And you know, this is why I don't work out. Yeah, it's fair. <laughs> it's fair. Um, so you you wonder if his wife was a witch doing witchcraft, or maybe her brother, who still works there, is the computer uh, technician guy. They were twins. Yes, they, they were got twins. that twin connection. That's right. A strong twin connection. Even in death. And people are dying at the gym because the gym equipment is killing them. This is serious. Because all, all the gym equipment's com- computer uh, computerized. That's right. As it should be. That's right. Um, <laughs> so, listeners, it's as crazy <laughs> as it sounds. And uh, just Google the cover art right now. Google image search the cover can, art. Can I can I say the cover art though? What I, I will give it this: the cover art is in some way in the movie, because like the girl with the skeleton face was in the movie in a way. Yeah. And the uh, the guy got killed on the, you know, I'm fat, so I don't know what the the equipment's called, but the butterfly machine. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> That we can't even get through the description of the film. I I chose this film because I heard about it on Shockwaves previously, Killer POV, and I thought it just sounded bonkers enough that I needed to check it out. And so I did, and I like it, and I made you guys watch it. So please go around and tell me what you thought of this film. Venomous Vinny? Okay. No, not this time. Um, this is everything you would think it would be <laughs> thank you oh, no, I'm just kidding. uh i it, i mean it, this is uh more 80s fair but just absolutely bonkers i mean this just elevates you know things up to a crazier level i mean it, it has the things that you would expect uh you know the fun bouncy soundtrack to it daddy's gore <laughs> Um, subpar acting. It's just, it's all there. Um, the kills are ridiculous, which let's be honest, we never get tired of, especially from that era, uh, watching it from whether you're doing it with a fish or a blender. Uh, there is all kinds of insanity to be had in here. Um, I, I liked one, I was reading people's reviews on this movie and one person's uh, headline was another excuse to not go to the gym. Um, <laughs> I uh, one thing that I couldn't stop laughing at, and I kept rewinding it and starting it over so that I could just watch it, uh, was when and I'm, we'll, I'm sure run through the plot, uh, but I'll fast forward to a scene where the woman's got the eyes bandaged <laughs> and she's being fed asparagus, and it's real slow, <laughs> sensual, and I kept waiting for Leslie Nielsen to be holding the fork because <laughs> that's literally what it felt like. Um, it's uh, yeah, I mean. Like, if I've got somebody in front of me who is asking me about horror movies who maybe hasn't seen a lot, I would never recommend this to them. <laughs> um, but if I have a friend like any of you guys who are genre nuts, yeah, watch it. I mean, like, it's exactly what you think it is. Like, I have no beef with a movie that's called Death Spa. 
doing whatever you the hell much, it wants. You pretty much know what you're yeah. getting into we're not, in a movie called Death Star. Yeah, we're not pulling any you know false punches here. And I got to say, too, the soundtrack really is better than this movie deserves. <laughs> like, it actually has some pretty legitimately good music scored throughout and put in here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it was... It was a first-time viewing for me, and it was pretty much what I expected it to be. It's like, I'm not going to do cartwheels for it, but again, you get in a mood to pick out five 80s horror movies to watch in a week. I got no problem throwing this in a stack here and there. To me, this is like on par with like Chopping Mall. I would say that is a very fair comparison. If somebody says, what's it like? You say, have you ever seen Chopping Mall? I would say that's a fair comparison. <laughs> Professor is like, well, except Chopping Mall is Academy Award material. Well, I wouldn't say... Oh, yeah. uh, I might might say Chopping Mall is a little bit more coherent. Not much, but... Uh, but yeah, no, I got you. I, I see it. Um, hmm. So, what'd you do if you looked over and saw Todd crossing out the words loved it? He was like, so. So. Uh, no. He's like, since you hated... Which first uh, first time show. viewing, but I remember this movie because of the box art. I remember when it came out on video... Um, and let's be real, it was effective because this movie was never in to be able to rent it. So, um, I'm more complex cause I just, the 89 throws me off cause I remember this, I remember the video and stuff. I feel like this was like an earlier movie, I to be honest. I can't believe this came out in 89. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel 89 whatsoever. Um. It feels 84. I really, I really didn't hate the movie as much as the shit that I'm giving it. Um. Because it is what it is. It, it, it's a bad, cheesy movie. I completely agree that uh, if someone was like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm crash course in the horror, I, I definitely wouldn't recommend this either. But it, it's, it is, it's fun. <laughs> uh, Screenshots. A lot of the scenes were uh, obnoxious, but so was a lot of 80s movies. Um, it's not something that I, I would uh, probably watch all the time, but I would definitely watch it again down the road because, again, it is what it is. Um, there's definitely a lot of weird, uh, like when she's you know in the steam room, as everyone does, where they try to finger themselves on the <laughs> on the counter. But and I was confused by a lot of it because it just starts steaming and she's screaming, and I'm like, it's a steam room. Uh, so it's just a lot of weird stuff, and then. And the whole twin angle, and and then I was like, so you know, is he sleeping with the the boy twin now? But you think it's the girl, and I was, I was kind of lost. But I I think the movie got goofier as it went, but it wasn't it wasn't completely horrible. How about the fact that they had a Mardi Gras party in the spa after hours? <laughs> what the fuck? I do is that at my gym. Yeah, eighties, eighties. You so crazy. <laughs> so ultimately, it did end up that. His late wife was a witch, right? Yeah, and she comes through with uh, the brother. Yes, possesses him. He's mm-hmm. cross-dressing. Yes, yeah, right. But he's cross-dressing, but has breasts and looks like her. Yeah, I mean, so if you're possessed by a girl <laughs> ghost, do you have a vagina? Is my question. <laughs> this is important info that Todd needs to. Know. I need to know this. <laughs> Vinny, you were going to say something. <laughs> Does it make you gay that you slept with the girl ghost through her brother? Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. 
so. yeah, everybody's hit just about every. You you pretty much know what you're getting into when you watch a movie with a title like Death Spa. Yeah. I'm astounded that it was made in '89. <laughs> I it looks so much older than There's, that. So I just looked it up. It was made in '89, released. There's no no way because yeah. because you know I, I was even gonna point out too I wrote down a line from this gem of a picture when I say gem G Y M not gem <laughs> I'm beta in your VHS and '89 beta was pretty much like it was yeah you knew beta no, wasn't taking was over not. beta wasn't taking over VHS at that point in '89 90 no 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 what I'm saying is beta was still the superior platform but it was on its way out because no one was supporting yeah so. This movie, this movie, this movie was written in 1982, and it time traveled to 1982. <laughs> yeah, I, it's yeah, it's astounding because the dude who plays the twin brother is the dude. Who, <laughs> my mic just got possessed. Pissed somebody. Uh, yeah. Now it's gonna be the death house. Is the guy who uh, played Kirk's illegitimate son in Wrath of Khan? Is that who that was? And then uh, uh, Star Trek Three, and. I would have sworn these movies were made. This movie's made at the same time that those movies were. But yeah, uh, yeah, I'm not going to recommend this to many people. Uh, it's goofy as shit. Uh, it's one of those so bad it's good. That, to that's watch. that's the category I would sell it. In. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's uh, the premise is as crazy as it sounds. And I think I think yes, that actor died at the age mm-hmm. of 29, like not long after the yep. movie. If right, if so you are if you are a, a fan of horror, I think that you're you're gonna you're not gonna like be like greatest movie, but you are gonna like it because generally if you're a fan of horror, you love those so bad it's good movies, and that is exactly all this movie is lacking are funny one liners. If this had better one liners, yeah. we'd have a whole different tune right now. I think because you take yeah. something like Sleepaway Camp, we all love Sleepaway Camp. Yeah, let's be honest, Sleepaway Camp. Quality wise, oh, yeah. isn't gone with the wind compared to this. I mean, no, I, I clearly I, like I, it better. No, I, won't, I won't back you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we got, you know, the one liners in there just catapult it. It, it takes, you know, right. that movie and makes it something even more special. Whereas Despot really doesn't have the charm of that humor in it. And I yes. think that's its only downfall that doesn't fall in line with most 80s horror movies. We are very forgiving to most of these films because they make us laugh. And so I think that may be, for instance, why you guys aren't as wild about Witchboard. Because yeah, it, it doesn't possible. have some of that you know, comic relief that makes 80s horror films so good. Because it exactly. needs to be one or the other. It needs to be ultimately very fun or very serious and scary. Yeah. Um, and I think that both of these movies at times could could help be aided with a little bit of humor. I agree 100%. But still it's fun time yeah, yeah. again they're not screwing the anybody with the title when we <laughs> were comparing it to chopping mall chopping mall does have some of that humor charm mm-hmm. that this and and which board don't so you know, that's a hundred percent accurate yeah. so uh <laughs> if you're a fan of the genre yeah if you're a horror fan get watch it. death spa but if you're a passive observer you this might be a deeper cut you can wait on yeah you can, we talk to us We'll recommend other things. So, Despa, thank you for watching. Thank you for your consideration. And our final film of the night, Professor. Ah, yes, the Bob Seger classic. Working on a Nightbreed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, Nightbreed, 1990. 
uh, directed and written by Clive Barker. He also wrote the short novel uh, that he took it from based on, uh, it's called Cabal, um, and, you know, brought it to the screen. Um, it has Craig Schaefer as uh, Boone slash Cabal, spoiler, uh, David Cronenberg, our uh, famed director, as uh, Decker, uh, and Bobby, the love interest of Craig. Uh, we also have some uh, Cenobites returning to uh, the screen for Mr. Barker and Doug Bradley as Dirk, Nicholas Vince as Kinski, Simon Banford as Onaka. Uh, we also have... <laughs> what was his name again? Uh, Onaka. Uh, John Agar, who uh, dates back to Tarantula. I'm saying it right, guys. Revenge of the Creature, The Mole People, Attack of the Puppet People. He was in a lot of classic stuff, and he was randomly one of Decker's victims. Victim. So, as a fan of uh, older horror, I have to at least mention him in there. And Ang Bak Hu is in this as one of the creatures. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's plenty of more people who play creatures. I'll uh, leave that to you guys if you want to cover more of them. Um, I picked this because I think it is a flawed classic. Um, man, I got a whole uh, peanut gallery here laughing. It's kind of hard to talk. Kind of fun, though. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a flawed classic. Um, that's why I picked it. I think that we need to cover more Clyde Barker on here, and I don't necessarily know if we'll ever do a full episode devoted solely to him. Uh, so I thought that this would be a fun one to cover. I think it is a, at times, beautiful, um, ambitious movie. I think it's also a prime example of what a studio can do to just screw it up. Um, I think that it also uh, inadvertently was a nice companion to talk about with Freaks. Uh, just by chance, that yeah, wasn't sure. intentional from either one of us. Um, X-Men comparisons. I mean, there's all kinds of, of classic things within this that I think that can be applied. I think this film was an inspiration for Little Monsters. For sure. <laughs> That's not so, a joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got Mandel, I think this look, yeah. also yeah. hugely inspired Adam Green's Digging Up the Marrow. Yeah. Yep. Even right down to the name Decker. Yep. Which And when that came out, people said something. And he claims that it was completely unintentional. Little, little Monsters came out before the movie, but like I think the book was around. So yeah. Oh crap! You're right. Wait, yeah. no, Little Monsters probably the same timeline. Eighty nine, sir. Kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I will commit. But yeah, uh, those those are the basic reasons um, why I picked it. Do you want me to start digging into the plot of it, or do you guys want to share initial thoughts? No, yeah, just go ahead and get into the plot. Why not? Give us the plot. Okay, so basically our main character, uh, Boone, is having nightmares. Um, he's dreaming of a place called Median. Uh, Median, say it however you want. Medellin. You guys got me thinking about pronunciation now so much. Uh, <laughs> but he's having Median. horrible uh, nightmares. He is going to see a psychotherapist, played by David Cronenberg, who is convinced and has him convinced that he is killing people, that he is a serial killer. Um, so, in essence, the guy he's going to for help isn't much. Um, he has convinced him for sure that, you know, you're the killer and I'm giving you, I think it's 24 hours. I can't remember. 24 hours to basically turn yourself in um, because you're a danger to society. Uh, you either turn yourself in or I'm turning you in. So he flees. He ends up out uh, in the rural settings at the place that he has been dreaming about yeah. and encounters um, our first monsters. Um where he basically explains to them, you know, I've killed a bunch of people. And they immediately laugh at him. Tell him, you know, who told you that? Uh, because they know that, you know, this guy isn't that. 
Um, at that time, we have the one monster amp up. He bites him. And we now have him fleeing from there as we have Decker, our, De or our doctor, arriving with the cops. Mm -hmm. And at that point, he comes up you know, in his face trying to talk to him with the cops behind him. And uh, you think, like, he's helping him. And this is where we clearly see, like, something shitty here. He says... He's got a gun. Yep, he screams out, he's got a gun. We shoot him. The problem is, is when he was bit, we've opened something up within this guy. He disappears from the morgue after he's been killed by the police and comes back out there. Now, ultimately, this movie takes a look at uh, outcasts where he has joined them out here at this magical place where they're left alone. Um, according to them over time, they have been hunted, been hunted down by society, uh, to almost extinction. And this is the place where they can come and be themselves and they just want to be left alone. And so he comes back to be welcomed into as a part of it because he's one of them at this point. And so we then deal with um, the uh, a side story with the doctor, who turns out is our killer, which we've been watching him slaughter people. So this guy was killing these people, telling his patient that he's doing them, trying to pin it on him. Right. So we have that narrative. We have uh, Boone's uh, love interest, Lori, trying to find him. So she's tracking down out to this space and basically i mean without going through the entire movie beat for beat there's a struggle within the group of fighting and not fighting for themselves right and so but to me the the beautiful thing about the movie is i mean besides a lot of different decisions from a filmmaking standpoint with storytelling i love the idea of people wanting to exist where they won't be hurt because mm. they're different and I think right. that so many different people can watch this and pull something from that. That it, it's not just your traditional uh, kind of idea of outcast, but I mean they really dig into the importance to them of being able to be themselves out here. And I mean it's one of the one of those things too. Like uh, you know I, I have to mention the release that the Scream Factory did a couple years ago and how big a, of a deal that was. Because so much of the footage that is in the director's cut, which makes a big difference to the storytelling, especially early in the film, when he's getting phone calls from Decker, um, who's you know feeding him along with that, that stuff was all cut out. So the movie that came out back then was much more disjointed. Mm -hmm. And so this was a big deal because everybody thought the cabal cut, which had all this extra footage, was all gone. And so they found a lot of that. And the, but the interesting thing with it was is Barker didn't just release that. He took the footage of what he wanted and infused it and made a director's cut. And Scream Factory put that out. And so with that, you see the actual exact movie that Barker wanted to make all those years ago. So people you know, got to see it 25 years after the fact the way he really intended. Yeah. And I think it makes a big difference. It's... 40 minutes of different footage and it's 20 minutes longer. It's a different movie completely. Yeah. So for me and for the listeners, because I've only seen the theatrical cut, is there a director's cut and a cabal cut? Yes. Okay. Those are different things. And I actually was corrected 
on the internet about that when I was excited and said something. And somebody was like, that's not the cabal cut. I was like, oh, yeah, no. And they were right the more I looked into it because there's been a group that um, has been pushing the cabal cut recently okay. for just an astronomical price. They made some like 100 copies and sold them for like hundreds of dollars. You know, Clive, Clive, oh, Barker's, Clive Barker's yeah. website, though, just uh, as an answer to that, they just like, uh, and it's it's already sold out again, but Clive Barker's website was like, we feel that this is ridiculous. Here's the cut for the original $50. Mm-hmm. And here's this many, and, you know, we'll give you an extra chance to buy it. So, in your face, people that were charging overpriced. Take that. But, yeah, I mean, we can go more into... Um... You know things I I like and don't like, but I've talked enough. What what did you guys think about the movie, Vinny? It's my first time viewing it. Um, I had no idea what to expect going into it. Um, I was I was impressed with the the makeup on in the movie. Um, I like the decor of it, like that big wall of skulls that's in the mm-hmm. movie is awesome. Um, overall, I enjoyed the movie. Uh, I was entertained by it. I thought everything looked good except towards the end. It's like these creatures that look like bad guys from the Power Rangers. Yeah, there, there's a couple where you're just like, what? And it's like, yeah, man, compared to everything else that I've looked at in this movie, why do these look so bad? Yeah. Um, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a, I didn't care for the ending. I thought it was a pretty lame ending personally. Um, but I like the movie as a whole. I, I mean, I don't have a whole lot to gush on it or anything like that. Like I enjoyed watching. I enjoyed the makeup. I, I just, I just felt like the ending was weak on it. And I think that maybe like, maybe is what left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. But other than that, other than that, it was a fun watch. I really enjoy this film. It's it's weird. It's different. Mm-hmm. It's its own thing. Um, but as... Uh, so I'd seen it before. And so this is my second viewing for the show. Uh, my wife is a big fan of it. So she showed me the first time. Uh, this time around, watched it with Vinny. And um, we kind of talked about how it's, it's almost more of a fantasy film mm-hmm. than a yeah. horror film. In some respect, and that's the wonderful thing about Barker is he dances back and forth yes, in the absolutely. extremes of both. Why right? did Cronenberg sound like one of the Peanuts characters? <laughs> like he was up really close with a lot of moisture in his mouth when he talked. I mean, I, I I'm not sure. I'll uh, I'll email somebody and get back to you. <laughs> that, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but man. his mask. That's one of my awesome. favorite. That's one of so my favorite. This is a great mask. It's so unsettling, the eyes, but also that the zipper mouth is like off center. There's just mm-hmm. something that creeps just me out about off, that. Yeah. Um, keep that in my bedroom. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Please don't get it out. Uh, I That's think, what he said. I think, I think that Midian <laughs> is very cool looking on the outside. That just like um, cemetery out in the middle of nowhere. Inside um, looked like the TV show Beauty and the Beast with <laughs> Ron Perlman. Uh, I disagree. I thought it looked like Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> no, no, no. Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom. Temple That's of it. Doom, it was like yeah. I'm saying. It was the Temple of Doom with the rope bridges. <laughs> um, 
I also put that Boone got heckin' bamboozled by Decker. <laughs> it was just, it was a crazy setup. Crazy setup for that. Um, I like uh, Babette, given that early vision and going back in time to like them being tortured and hunted and that mm -hmm. was nuts. I thought it was very cool. Um, I also agree that the end's a little wonky uh, where you get those creatures out and he says, oh, go get them, boys. Um, but then interesting, too, that you find out that Boone is the savior that was like foretold about for the, the creatures. So, um, man, it's just like any other Clive Barker tale. It's just so freaking nuts. Mm -hmm. But it works on a lot of levels. So, I like this movie. I enjoy it. Um, it's weird. It's good. It's bonkers. It's visionary i mean mm -hmm. yeah so i like this movie cool um something that i think is interesting too with it is that very frequently while barker dances around between extreme grotesque horror and fantasy um, and eroticism mm -hmm. through a lot of his work uh, most of the time it comes from like a nor angle where all the people are kind of shitty yeah and what i like about this is that that's not the case the monsters are good and they're likable. Except and, for that one. Well, yeah. But for the most part, the monsters we're dealing with are good. Yeah. And the people who are supposed to be helping others out in the world are bad. Yeah. And so I like that he flipped that on its head for this. And it really kind of goes against the grain of a lot of his work. Um, yeah. Both on screen and in book. I mean, with that, just to flip it, I think, um, added a lot of charm to it. Uh the biggest problem with this is it tried to do too much. Yes. If this would have been a trilogy, people would worship it. Because if you started out um, slowing down a little bit, like, for instance, before he even goes out fleeing at the beginning of the movie, you could have made that first segment a whole movie. You could have had the serial killer operating. You could have had him, and then you could have had a little inkling going on with something otherworldly out here. It didn't need to be there yet. Or even switch up the acts within this film to where we don't get into battle or anything big until the very last act. Too much time was spent on getting epic yeah. with the battle. And that's my biggest complaint is everybody is interesting and likable that we we rushed too much to elongate the the ending. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just oh, yeah. it's so massive for that. So I, I just feel like the characters and the place and everything were all so huge in, in heart and idea that this could have easily been three movies. And I thought that they just tried to, to race through too much material for one film. I, I still love the movie, but I, I really wish it would have been multiple. I wish this would have been two or three films. But to be honest, Clive Barker just has never gotten the fair film treatment that no. he needed. No. And while some of his stuff has translated to film well enough. Not not the way it should have. Exactly. Like in terms of volume. Right. He, I mean, Hellraiser at one and two are excellent movies. I think this is excellent. Um, and then you start digging a little deeper. Yeah. I mean, he, Candy for Man as is, much as he wrote, yeah, Candy, Candy Man's, Man's great. great. But like at the same time, it's like Clive Barker. It's like he just is not getting a fair shake. Yeah. Hot Toddy, tell us how you feel about this. Uh, so Nightbreed, um, I've always loved and at the same time been very disappointed by this movie. Um, 
I I remember it came out and it like it really came and went so fast that you know I had to wait till video. And this is a movie that I read about for like ever since they started making it, reading Fango. I mean, there was like 300 monsters in this movie. And so when I finally got to see the product that that was released, I was I was greatly disappointed. Um and and kind of like everything that you just said, um man, I love Clyde Barker. I, I this is a Clyde Barker direction, but The Nightbreed is really not a Clyde Barker movie in my opinion. Um I still like the movie, so I'm not I'm not shitting on it, but um the Cabal cut's really cool. I wish if, if they would have left him alone, I think we would have had this awesome movie, which I think he intended as a franchise. <clears throat> a lot of the things that you were saying was kind of forced upon him, which is why this is like where he was just kind of done with Hollywood after this yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, but like his big thing was this, this movie wasn't the movie was about the, the monsters, which really aren't monsters at all. And it was like a fantasy take. And, and, and I think Fox or Morgan Creek or whoever put it out originally, they, um, they just couldn't accept that. So next, you know, they're like, well, you know, we need a Jason and we need a Freddy. So now there's a doctor who's a slasher. And like none of that was needed in this movie, to be honest. But um, that the music's like straight out of like Batman. Yeah, same guy. Because uh, it's Danny Elfman, yeah. of course. But I mean, it sounds like Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, watching it for this, I almost felt like it was more of a Tim Burton film than a little bit than yeah. Clyde Barker. Um, I would recommend if you haven't seen the director's cut to watch it. It it is like watching a completely different film. Um, but I do like I do like this movie, but I, I just like I said when I watched it and I seen that all these monsters that were made for this movie that was like almost like a year or two of Fango putting out like you know they kept getting the cover and and in it and then you watch the movie and it's like all right they showed a hundred monsters in the magazine why is there two like they don't get any screen time yeah so like there was just so much of this film that was changed in fact I don't know if you guys caught it or not but. That's not Doug Bradley talking. Like, they even dubbed over his voice. Really? Yes. Uh, so the studio did so much with this movie that it was taken away from Clive Barker. So, I mean, that's my disappointment within it. But I still like the movie. I like watching it anytime I see it. Even the theatrical cut, I still like it. I just, you know, when I, when I first watched it, I was greatly disappointed because of all the stuff they did to it. Yeah, my note here on the side is ambitious creativity ruined by studio. And and even um, Candyman is not directed by Clive Barker, but it's right. still fil- it's greatly Clive Barker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, where where Nightbreed that he directed didn't feel I, I mean, and it's not his fault. Um, it was it was taken away from him. Yeah. And 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 the fact that he made kind of Hellraiser how he wanted to make it, and then Hellbound two again he didn't direct, but it was it was very much a Clive Barker movie. Um, so I kind of see why he hates Hollywood, but. You know, at the same time, like, how dumb are you that you have somebody that, like, at this time period, he could have threw his name on a Tampax box and people would have ate it up. Like, yeah, he was let him make the movie he wanted to make. Like, yeah. and, 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 and in fact, it proves because it was a bomb in theaters. I think if he would have made his movie, you know, it would be a, a bigger thing. Would have done better. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. But right. but at the end of the day, after bitching about it, I still like the movie. But sure. I just sure, yeah. That, that's not my, what I opened with a flawed classic. Yeah, because because and 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 now I can I can step away and just enjoy the movie. But yeah, the first few viewings, I'm just 
so disappointed. Working on a Nightbreed. <laughs> well, <clears throat> anything further to say on Nightbreed? Check it out. Yeah. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, you've got to check it out. I'm I'm glad that Carrie introduced me to it, and I enjoy it. You're right. Flawed, but a good film. So, check it out. Um, anything left to say on this edition of the Monster Mash? No. Uh, I forgot to mention the last line of Despot. Nice try, Michael. <laughs> Shoot the skeleton of that, so there's that. Well done, sir. Thank you. Well done. All right, for the Midwest Monsters, I am Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by Professor Wagstaff. Hot Toddy. Venomous Vinny. Thanks for checking us out, friends. Stay scary.